I was abandoned by both of my biological parents and literally thrown into a garbage can. So I had a pretty rough start to my life. Welcome to the Real Estate Secrets Podcast. This show is about sharing lessons in commercial real estate that were learned from trial and error and working directly with CEOs of billion-dollar healthcare organizations. Our mission is to teach the insider strategies used by the big guys to everyday healthcare operators in order to get access to the best real estate at the best prices. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Commercial Real Estate Secrets. I'm your host, Austin Hare. And I want to welcome our guest today, Dr. Steve Broughton. He's the CEO and founder of Light Dental Studios. They've got 22 locations in the Seattle Tacoma area, and they focus on like the larger, bigger structures. You know, the biggest one has 39 operatories, and it kind of works like the hub and spoke model where you've got like a big one in the center, and then you can kind of have some smaller ones out on the outside of that. And um, we're going to dive a lot more into detail. And Steve, Dr. Dr. Steve really has an interesting story too from his upbringing. And yeah, it's a pleasure to have you on the show today. Oh, thanks, Austin. It's been wonderful getting to know you. I love your podcast too. So thanks for having me on. Yeah, I no, I definitely appreciate that. Thanks very much for the for the kind words. Um, so yeah, when we we're talking earlier, getting to know each other, I know that you were adopted from Korea and kind of crazy what happened in your life. So do you want to just kind of share with the audience uh, what that was like for you? Sure. Yeah, I I had a I was abandoned by both of my biological parents and literally thrown into a garbage can. So I had a pretty rough start to my life. Um, about five years ago, a lady reached out to me. She sent me this long 10-page letter. And she said, if you'd like to know about the beginning parts of your life, keep reading. And I'll tell you, she said, I'm getting older. And I, if I die, my, your story dies with me. And so I decided I, that got my attention. And I read it. And she told me about what had happened in that early part of my life. And she said that, um, that she it was her first job out of high school and she was going to teach English in Korea. And she had a second job that was to, to bring a baby boy for adoption back into the United States. And she went in, she had got a baby boy out of the orphanage and that one died in her arms. And she went back in and there was a measles outbreak this time and it wiped out most of the babies so um they let her in after a bit and she said there was maybe three to five she, she said it was a really small number of babies that were alive at that point and i was one of them and she said you were she said your body was all bloated and she said your skin was a bluish color and she said i didn't think that you were going to make it so she just she took me, she carried me around for nine months and nursed me back to health. I guess I survived it. I, I got to the United States. She used to tell me this. She said, I used to tell you that it's you and me against the world. That was my mantra with you. She said, I don't know if that even means anything to you today, but that's what I said. And it's so funny because my whole company really circles around that idea. And I say it a lot, that it's us against the world, that life's hard and when it's hard, you stick together. And that's just a mantra of mine. So I, I took that from her. And um, I didn't, I, I was pretty malnutrition. So even at a year and a half, when I was in the US, I couldn't roll over on my back, I, I could only, uh, I could not eat solid food. I didn't go to kindergarten until I was seven years old. Um, I would end up growing up 
in a pretty rough childhood. So I was working by the time I was eight, I was working full-time by the time I was 12. Um, when I graduated from high school, I was completely on my own. Um, no mentors, nothing. I put myself through college. That's what I thought you were supposed to do. Um, took me a long time because I had to fund everything, slept in my car, um, did that to save on room and board, um, ended up finally graduating from dental school when I was 33 years old, went straight into dental practice with um, no money. And um, two years out of dental school, I started a real estate project to build a 31,000 square foot building which the bank said, that's a really stupid idea and it'll never happen. And uh, I was able to put that project together with, with five partners, um, have continued to grow my business since we went from six employees. We have about 250 today um, from a single dentist to, I think we have 50 doctors today with, and specialists. And um, it's just been a pretty incredible journey. We buy real estate as well. So I do a combination. I own about 100,000 square feet of commercial real estate. Wow. Those are all separate LLCs. And I have a few different partners in each of those projects. And yeah, that's just kind of it all in. It's all in Seattle. Area. Yeah, we're we are all in Seattle where all of our locations are within a, a hundred mile radius. And like you said, our biggest one's going to be 39 operatory we're building it right now it's 20 operatory currently but that was our primary location most of our locations are larger 9 to 18 operatory so let's backtrack a little bit you lost over a lot of stuff there first of all like um you know what was kind of like your earliest memory where you realized like you know my my life's different right like i was i'm adopted or you you know i'm living with adopted parents or, or foster care or whatever it is that you were going through mm -hmm. Um, probably be, I, I'd say in my teenage years, I, I realized that I was going to have a pretty tough life. Um, I didn't have a lot of friends because I was working and I was working full time. So like, I, does I, that mean, I mean, like your, your adopted parents, they didn't support you. They weren't well off. I mean, why were you, yeah, they, kind of job they were, they were just physically and emotionally abusive. Um, I, they, they gave, they put a roof over my head and for that, I've always been appreciative, but I really was on my own. I took care why, of myself. I cooked why my were own they food. Adopting kids, like adopting is such a hard, like noble thing to do. Why do you think they were adopting kids that they were abusing? Yeah, I'm not sure. <laughs> I'm not sure. Yeah, I don't. I don't have an answer for that. Th okay. Three, I, I, I had three, six, three of our siblings, we were adopted. And then they had three siblings. I have three siblings that were my parents' own children. Um, and I still have a relationship with my parents. So it's, it's just a little bit, I don't see them a, a lot, but I still communicate with them. And um, so it's not a, it's not like I've, I've disowned my family, but um, it was a tough childhood. Mm. Um, so what, what, like, and what kind of jobs were you, were you doing? When you oh, were I've done everything. I, I think I've worked, I, I, 
I counted at one point, it was close to 30 jobs I had before I started in dentistry. And one of the things that was really nice about that is that I started to understand organizational behavior just from working in lots of different places. I could see how companies were set up. I was always intrigued by that, how the businesses worked. I worked for tiny companies and I worked for really large companies. Um, I've sold things. I've, I did a lot of selling, actually, even door-to-door sales. I sold this. When you were in high school, cleaners. you were doing door-to-door sales? Yeah. I sold yeah. these vacuum cleaners for $1,300. That had to be a, a really great life lesson. I mean, to be in high school selling $1,300 uh, vacuums, that's a high-ticket item, right? Especially, I don't, I don't know yeah. in high school, but yeah. um, door-to-door, I mean, that's some of the roughest, you know, worst kind of work you can possibly get. People hate that. So it sounds like that probably helped shape you to be successful later on. Yeah, it makes you unafraid to ask for things. And <laughs> yeah. you have to get very creative on, you know, I'd, I'd ask people if they have any stains they can't get out of their carpet. And I'd be carrying hauling this vacuum cleaner around. <laughs> and I'd try to. Did you make like decent money doing it? No. <laughs> no. Yeah. I, I think I, yeah. I, I learned, made a lot of um, invaluable lessons, though. Right. That's fine. Yeah. Oh, uh, well, sorry. What were you about to say? I feel like I cut you off. Oh no! It. <laughs> we're yeah. You know, it the selling was very difficult, and uh, but I learned a lot, and then I ended up in professional sales for a while too. Oh, cool. So in I college? sold. Yeah, I after college I sold for a couple of years um, in healthcare sales. I sold to hospitals and uh, mostly consumable goods. You didn't go directly to, to dental school after college. No, I I worked for two years and made more money. Okay. I tried. I've always believed from a young age that it's important to have a healthy balance sheet. So even a personal balance sheet. Um, I'm incredibly afraid of debt and I've used debt along the way, but I don't, I'm scared to leverage it too much. So um, even today, my company, um, our balance sheet, we don't hold, we have a little bit of debt, but we have more cash on hand than that, that could satisfy the debt. So um, I've always, tried to stay in that realm where I don't get out too crazy on debt leverage. Yeah, that's smart. Um, so, I mean, I guess like, it sounds like you take a little bit, right? Just not a lot. Yeah. And, and I had to take a little, obviously if you're going to build a business, you have to, you start there, but I was, it was always important for me to pay it down. I lived well below my means. I'm used to being poor. So um, it wasn't, it wasn't, I've never really been that fascinated with seeing how much I could accumulate for myself personally. Hmm. Um, I have a bit of a crazy life there too. And that I, I have always been very cautious on how I spend money from a personal side. That's interesting. Um, yeah. Like, and then, you know, this is the part that I, I like to talk about that we can go like really deep, like really yeah, in okay. so many different ways, right? Because you can get so yeah. philosophical about it. Um, so, you know, it's like a, a poor upbringing, 
has a bifurcating effect a lot of times in my observations and maybe I'm wrong, but it seems like people either, most people kind of go down this path of like, you know, continuation and poverty and like maybe doing the abuse equally or worse than what they received and um, continuing the cycle. Right. And then, but the minority of people kind of use that as motivation to take a total opposite path. Right. And then they try and bring good to the world. They'd be ultra successful or whatever it is. Right. And so it sounds like you, you've chosen like the higher path, like the, the, the narrower path. And so, um, like what, you know, when you were younger, when you're in high school, like, were you motivated by money? Were you motivated just to get out of the pain you were in or the poverty you were in? Um, you know, were you motivated like that you wanted to help other people not be in poverty? Like, you know, what was like, because, you know, you have 20 locations, you own a lot of real estate, um, you know, very at this stage, very financially su successful. And so that takes dedication and it takes a lot of perseverance, right? Like, what do you, where do you think that drive came from? Wow. Uh, I have thought about that a lot over the course of my life. And it really does come back to what I'd said earlier about it's us against the world. And when this gal told me that she had said that to me all that time, I, 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 I told her cause she and I had a conversation and I told her, it's so funny that you said that because that really has stuck with me throughout my life. And I'm a big believer in other human beings and that you don't get anything down without done without others that you give first and take last. It's always been a value that I've held close to myself. Um, I have not, I'm not a person that has huge goals. A lot of people think that, that I've had people ask, like, did you see yourself getting here? And did you know that you were going to go to grow to this size? And, I had no idea. And it's a philosophy that I has developed with me over the course of my life, but is um, I see it now very clearly. And that has been that every single day when I get up, just like when I was poor, I just say, what is it that I can do today? What's the best thing that I can do to move my, my life forward for today? And I, and I've done, I've taken that approach versus the big goals approach. And so um, what's been amazing to me is that if I look back on my life, say, if I go back 10 years and look at where I was, I say, wow, you know, I got a long way, but I don't think I got there because I had huge goals. I think we're on our 45th acquisition now wow. between real estate or dental practice. And if you had asked me in my career, when I started in dentistry, if I would have, if I would go down that path, I would have said, no, I, I don't see it. But I am a big believer in people, and I've developed a, a wonderful team of people that have been with me. Half of my original team still works for our company. Um, I have zero turnover of my senior executives. Uh, we have basically built our life together. Uh, so it is a belief of us against the world, and and that probably more so than the abuse. And I know I. It's funny that you talked about how you can take these bifurcating paths, Austin, because it, what's so funny about that is that uh, I'll just tell this quick little story here. Please, please. I had, I, when I was a teenager, um, I had become a Christian. And part of that was because I, it was just such a tough life. I, I, I found Christianity as almost a crutch, but, but I, there was this youth group camp and all the kids in my youth group were that were applying to be counselors at this camp. 
And so I applied to, and I found out later that I was the only one that didn't get the job. So all the other kids got the job, but not me. And so I went, I, I went to the pastor and I was crying and I said, why didn't I get the job? And he said, he sat me down and he said, we know that you are an abusive home. And he said, my fear for you. And he said, there's lots of studies that show that kids who are abused will go on to abuse. And, or, and he said, well, no, he said, he said, when we look at abused children, sorry, he said it the other way, he said, when we look at abused children, we find that um, the parents are, have been abused as well. So mm-hmm. that was the thing that he told me. And that's why he said, yeah. I just don't feel comfortable having you be a counselor to children. And, and I, I challenged him at that point. I said, what about, what about, it can't be that every child who's been abused abuses. I mean, they've got, there's got to be some kids that don't abuse. And so that was the, that was made pretty clear to me during that early part of my life. And I made a very conscious effort that um, I would control my anger. I, I, I did deal with a lot of anger early in my life. Just I get upset really easy. And I've had to, to work on that consciously over, over my lifetime to be able to control it. Um, and I'm just, I'm really careful there. Um, yeah, yeah. That, that's interesting. Did you um, remain a Christian after that? What's that? Sorry, Austin. Did you keep your faith after that? Yeah. That's great. Yeah, I, I, I'm a believer too. And um, it's yeah. actually like a lot of guys in the DSO space, dental space, seems like are, are believers. So I don't know, mm-hmm. something about maybe, you know, healthcare and, and helping people or, or something along those lines, right? Um, it's really, it's really, I don't know why, but it is fascinating yeah. to me. Um, it's like yeah. trying to do, do good in the world, you know, um, mm-hmm. through whatever means necessary. So um, I think, yeah, so, uh, you know, on that, on that kind of vein, like, in terms of it sounded like that was a real kind of like motivator like motivating life situation for you um you know you mentioned how far you've come in 10 years like what level of motivation do you do you feel like you have and and so what i mean is when you look back on people's lives like not everybody ends well right like even for example like king david you know he made a lot of mistakes but he finished well but king solomon you know he was in the bible he was um, he wrote the book of Proverbs, which is a really wise, fantastic book, but he didn't finish well because he had like 700 wives and 300 concubines. Right. So like he went through like a uh, full circle, but did not like finish well. And so there's even bodybuilders on Instagram, you know, they look great 10 years later, they're extremely overweight, right? Like, like there's the rubber band effect or there's a the yo-yo effect where they go from polar ends, like one polar end to the opposite. So do you feel like you have like, kind of like maintained your level of like moderate motivation? Do you feel like you're extremely motivated or do you feel like you've kind of yo-yoed or, or rubber band? And, and your life or your career? Well, I have a, a, a unique approach to life and it, 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 it will reflect a little bit about what I said earlier, but when I, I often hear people talk about, you know, what Simon Sinek calls the infinite game versus the finite game. And I, yeah. and I understand where, where he comes from from that point but i don't dismiss the idea of the finite game and the reason i don't is because the problem for me when i think i have infinite time is that i procrastinate right (laughs) and i don't get things done 
And so I, that approach really hasn't worked really well for me. So I look at things on from one day to the next, and that's the approach that I take, which is a finite approach. I say, when I get up in the morning, I say, what am I going to accomplish today? What problems do I need to fix? Where do I need to go? And I live my life in a very finite way. And because I want to know that, that every day is important. And so that's helped me be pretty consistent along the way. Um, I, every year, I mean, if you look back at our acquisitions, we've had two to three acquisitions a year. It's been really consistent. I've had some years where I've had more and some years where I've had a little bit less, but it's been pretty consistent over time. Um, our company over the last 11 years has grown in excess of 20% annually. Wow. And it's, it's consistently done that. How many hours do you put in a week or a day? Um, a lot. A lot? I'm a, yeah, I'm a seven day a week person. Um, it has, it, I'm not a work-life balance guy. I have a hard time with the whole idea of work-life balance. Um, I'm, I've been married for 30 years um, to one person and uh, we have a great marriage, but it, it has also been, that's been the one point that we have argued is over time. Hmm. Um, we don't really argue about money so much, but we argue about time and, and um, I've had to figure out, um, I look at, look at it rather than a work-life balancing. I look at it as um, you're the same person at home that you are at work. And if you can love both and find a way to love both, then it's a really great life. And I also think when it comes to balance is that we spend the majority of our waking hours at work. It's just the way life works. And, and we spend a few hours with our family. And so it really, putting it on a balance beam, at least on a time balance beam is difficult. Right. Right. And no, I agree. So, but I mean, we were talking off camera earlier and I know you just got yeah. one of the sweetest boats, the new Nike Paragorn, which is like a super nice wakeboard luxury boat. So if you work seven days a week, when do you have time to use that thing? <laughs> I, I make my, my little, I live on a lake, so I, it's a quick run out and okay. back. I've got some friends that I jump out with, but Can we squeeze it in in the middle of a work day or whatever. Once I try to do it, I don't do it as much as I used to. I'm getting older too. So wakeboarding is pretty hard on yeah. old people's bodies. Um, I still have a couple little tricks though, and it's fun. I, I enjoy going out, but I, yeah, I usually squeeze it in. Okay. Um, yeah, and so I don't, one of the things I don't do is, all of my time that I spend, if I travel, I, my family's usually with me unless okay. I'm on work travel. So, um, I don't do guy trips and stuff like that. That's never been a part of my life. Um, so the time that I am spending away, uh, my family's with me. Okay. That's great. Yeah. That's awesome. I'm sure that I'm sure they love that too. Um, so yeah, it sounds like even though you, you don't have these big goals, you still have the motivation to get up, work every day, seven days a week, as if you had that, but maybe just focusing on the day-to-day -day allows you to, uh, I, I don't know, grind, grind harder. Would you say that's the right, right word? Yeah. It, I, the way that I think about it is if you do that every day, if every person gets up and does as much as they can, 
that day, I think most people will turn around and look at their life 10 years later and say, what the heck did I do? Because amazing things happen from that versus the opposite way of looking at it. If you say, well, in 10 years, I want to be here or I want to um, have this kind of life. Um, I think that that's harder for people because there's so much time between here and there. It's like and kind so of abstract that. Yeah. Way. Yeah. And so it's hard to stay fixated on those goals, particularly when life gets hard and life does get hard. I'm a, I'm a big believer in that. Like it just never gets easy. I so, something like you, when you and I originally chatted, you had talked about how my life, some, some of the things have evolved in, in my thinking. And one of the things yeah. that is, has really evolved when I think about, um, uh, company is early on in my career, I did what most people, most dentists are told to do. I, I hired a financial planner. I, I started a 401k. Um, I, I remember my financial planner. He's been, he's been with me my whole career, but I remember him saying, what, what's your plan? Let's get, let's get you to a point where you can have retirement. You can go sit on a beach and you can do whatever you want. And he said, let's make a plan to have that happen in your career. And that's just what I thought you were supposed to do. And, and I did it. And, and about five years ago, uh, he was over at my house. We were having lunch and he brought this little blue book and he's sitting down with my wife and I, and he said, Steve, I want to congratulate you. And he said, you have done very, very well. And he said, I've, I put together a plan and here it is. And this is how we get you on a beach. We're going to start to sell off some of the properties. We're going to sell, we're going to make a plan to sell the practice. And, and, and we're going to um, get you and Ann out and enjoy your life. You, you, you've done well and you've got enough. And, and he had the book and opened it up and I started thinking about it. And I called him a few days later and I said, I thought about this a lot and I don't know what I'm going to do with my time. <laughs> and my whole life has been around solving problems. And I, I don't like problems any more than anybody else, but it brings meaning and purpose to my life and oh, having figuring out how to fix really hard things. And so I don't, and that, at that point I made a flip and I said, I'm going to get rid of the whole exit strategy thing and I'll do this as long as I can. And I call it the Warren Buffett approach, but um, I really do see my life as now as trying to help develop others in our company, help them develop the things that they want out of their life. And for me to be a good support for that. So, um, no, that's huge. If anything, I work harder today than I worked 20 years ago. Yeah. Yeah. Sonny Robbins talks about, you know, when you get to the stage where you don't need to work anymore, you do it because you like it and you actually work harder when you don't have to mm -hmm. work. Um, and then the other thing that I always thought was ironic is the type of personality that it takes to be able to retire on the beach with a drink in your hand is also the exact same type of personality that would never be satisfied with that. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's the kind that needs to keep going. Yeah. You know, I kind of experienced it briefly myself, like probably not at the same level you did, but you know, I had the fitness centers and, and I had some real estate and stuff like that. It was my goal. I was having these disagreements with the franchisor 
and it was terrible. And I just wanted mm-hmm. out so bad because it was just um, such a bad situation. So I worked so hard at selling these locations. It's all I could think about. It was like my, my total focus point. Yeah. And when I finally sold them. I mean, it was like single biggest, single biggest problem in my life at the time. When I finally sold yeah. them, I'd solved my problems. I had, you know, financial freedom. I had time freedom. I had geographic freedom. I had no real problems. And it's like a wave of depression hit me. Yes. I mean, it was crazy. I did the exact yes. opposite of what you did. Yeah. I need to work. And so I, I had essentially met like a lot of my goals, um, my life goals, you know? Yeah. I had to like totally re- rethink everything because it was miserable. And so I realized like, it's not the accomplishment of a goal that gives you happiness. It's progress made towards that goal. When I, I used to be Absolutely. Yeah, a professional wakeboarder, I, like we talked about, and I thought about it, like my happiest times as a wakeboarder wasn't when I had like, you know, the pro model boards and, and, and stuff like that. It was like when I had just graduated high school, I'd moved down to Orlando and I was on track to making a name for myself. When I was learning new tricks, like I hadn't done it yet, but I was on track to do it. And I felt more fulfilled when I was on track than I did actually accomplishing it. And so it's just a crazy, the way the mind works. And so that's why I think it's so cool. What you're talking about is like, Hey, like there's not this big goal at the end. I mean, maybe there is, maybe there isn't for some people, but like the fulfillment, you know, that the fulfillment comes from making incremental progress every single day. And then maybe when you reach that goal, if you do have a goal, then you start to shift and you do another goal, right? Or you tangentially start another goal at the same time to keep you going after that. And so I think that's yeah. the thing people make is they put happiness as a point in the future. The problem is if you're not happy with your circumstances now, you're not going to be happy when you accomplish your goal later, right? Like it's all about yeah. perspective. So I, I yeah. really like that approach. I, yeah. I, Austin, you just, you speak to my soul. <laughs> the, the, it's so funny about money because we all think that it's going to solve all of these problems for us. And I'm, I just like you, um, the last few years I've, I have had these bouts of very, very deep depression and I can't figure out why I'm depressed. I, I, I look at my life and I say, you have nothing to be sad about. And why are you so sad? And I think one of the things that has come about when I think about it is that money doesn't do for you what you think it will. Yeah. And and it creates enormous problems that you didn't see on the horizon. Like one of those is is you don't know why you have friends. You don't know why people hang around because the money confuses it. Yeah. And and you all you you know in my life I'm always the one who gives. That's just the way it is. But then I don't know do people come around because I they of what they get? Or do they come around because they really like who I am? And so that that's where money can kind of confuse things. And and the other thing that I'd say about money is it doesn't buy the, the stuff that it can buy for you doesn't really give you what what you are thinking it will. And this high, the whole idea of the pursuit of happiness is an issue for me. It's become an issue for me in my life because happiness comes and goes and pursuing it. How do you hang on to it? I mean, it's yeah. like breathing. If you try to hang on to it, you suffocate. So I, so the happiness thing I always have struggled with as well. And I've come to this point in my life where I have this mantra. I say to our teams and I say, just be good, go into the world, make it a little bit better today and be, and be honest and truthful with those around you. And it's a good life and it'll bring you meaning and it'll help you solve problems. But pursuing happiness or money, I mean, it's just, it's empty. And I let today, I I let the happiness come when it comes and when it's gone, it's gone. And I accept that and I pick up my cross and 
Barrett. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's a really, the one of the analogies I heard is like a wolf in sheep's clothing, right? Because like, yeah. you're so worried about being, you know, but most people are so worried about not having anything or being homeless or broke, whatever, but they're trying to accumulate all these assets to protect themselves from that. And then what happens is when they have the assets, they're actually more worried about use, losing them than they were when they were worried about being homeless. And it's like, yeah, yeah. that's a great analogy. <laughs> yeah. So now that we've spent all this time talking about the problems that happen <laughs> when you get a lot of money, let's talk about how you make money. <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> we'll pivot a little bit. Um, yeah. We'll bring that, bring it down to some more uh, tangential yeah. or, or um, you know, touchable items, tangible yeah. items. Um, and, and which, by the way, I think this is really great. And um, yeah, I think I, hopefully this, this helps, right? Like hopefully hearing other people talk about it helps because I think like when you share your, your problems and your struggles, there's a, there's a worry that people aren't going to like you anymore, but actually mm -hmm. it makes them like you more, right? And it makes mm -hmm. you more likable to know that you're not perfect. And so I, I think that's why it's so ironic. We don't talk about these things. And I think it's important that we do. And thanks for sharing and, and being vulnerable. I really appreciate that. Um, and, and let's talk about your practices. So, I mean, 22 locations is awesome. So congrats on that. We kind of got to the point and, you know, I know we're getting short on time, so we're going to have to, um, pick and choose here. Cause there's so many things that I would love to talk to you about, but, um, you know, you, you at 33, you know, you went, you bought your own practice, right? So like what went, what made you go? And then it sounds like five years ago is when you decided you're not going to retire. So like, you know, between five years ago, when you were 33, were you running a single practice? And then when did you decide to, that you wanted to start and scale a DSO? Everything has just moved along in time. I wouldn't say it's linear, but it's every year I've just gotten a little bit bigger. Um, the It started with me building that very first building. Two years out of dental school, I started that project. That That's a 31,000 square foot building. And that's where our primary location sits. Um, and we have some renters and tenants and stuff in this building. So we don't occupy the whole thing, but, but we, we grew, um, we just, every year we just got a little bit bigger. We started as a dental group in, I think it, it was 2007. We bought our first office. Um, up until that time I had acquired mostly real estate, but then we started to grow the the dental group around 07 and um, getting it all companies, I think in the very beginning, capital is always an issue and you have to figure that part out. Um, I use traditional financing. I only have one partner. She's 14%. Um, she's been with me since I started the dental group. So I think she's on your 12 or 14, something like that. Um, she's my best friend. We, we've grown this company together and, and um, we both are pretty crazy <laughs> workers. Like it's, it's every day. I was just in a meeting last night. I got another one tonight. So, <laughs> I mean, they're long days, but, but um, the, the thing that I'd say about so, so you have the capital problem in the beginning, which we're all aware of when we start a company. And then I have this, this, uh, this other problem as you start to grow and that's the organization. And how do you keep that thing from just collapsing on any given moment? Because right. dentistry is difficult to scale. So I, I read this on the internet somewhere that, that Instagram got to a billion dollar valuation with 13 employees and in dentistry, there's no way <laughs> yeah, you right. business on 13 employees. So figuring that part out was very difficult for me. 
And one of the things that I hear about a lot, because because if I, I I know a fair number of other DSOs, and one of the things that I that I hear about a lot is that when you're scaling really fast, and these guys are using um, a lot of leverage money, they have to get their their leadership in in place pretty quickly, and so they'll do a lot of outside hiring, bring managers, professional managers in with business degrees or finance degrees, and 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 understanding of of scaling these kinds of companies, but we have not taken that approach in our company. So our company, we took an office approach. We said we are only going to promote from within, and we made that decision really early because I I, I wanted to give our people the opportunity to develop their own life, and and so um, everyone in our company starts from the clinical floor or in the front office role. And then the reason I've done it that way, and one of the things that that has helped me when I look at the two approaches is that if you interview somebody for a managerial role, what ends up happening is is you can't see a lot of the really important things, at least that we wanted out of managers. And, And the thing for me, I have three pretty critical areas that I like. I like loyalty, I like strong communication skills and particularly the, the ability to solve problems. And I like people who live by example. Those three qualities or uh, traits are something that I look for in all of our managers. The problem is, is that in an interview, it's very hard to see. Yeah. It's hard to see loyalty. Um, you can see communication skills, but you don't really see how they solve problems. How do they solve problems when they're in a fight? What what happens when they when life looks pretty hopeless? How do they how do they figure that out with other people? And then the live by example thing is another thing that you really can't see in an interview. You don't know if they'll come to work on time. You don't know if they'll if they'll um, go to the ends of the earth for you. You, you and you're not sure really how they're going to live their life. And so. That's why the interview was tough. And, and another thing that happens in, in the interview is that it invariably circles around this idea of market-based compensation. And that was another area where I had trouble because you don't really know what the motivator is. Is the motivator money? Is it, is it compensation? Because that's the one thing that you're, that you're negotiating over in an interview. Or do they really want to come and work for your company? When you promote from within, you have an opportunity to see that. You can see loyalty. You can you can see it starting to develop. You can see how they solve problems. Can they work through their problems? Are they good at that? You can see how they live their life. Do they live by example? And then you take those people and you begin to promote them. You give them tasks and you let them start to rise. And, and not all of them will make it. Some of them don't, but they, they'll still usually stay pretty loyal because you, you'll go to them and say, hey, th- this isn't really working out over here. Let's try you over here. We still really love you, but it's not, this place may not be your area. And so you can still hang on to those people, but it's giving you an opportunity now to, to look and survey your company and to find the needle in the haystack because those are the people that you're really looking for that will fight for you, for your company, and um, and create the us against the world mentality. Yeah, no, that's cool. Um, so yeah, it's been a long time in the making. I mean, since 2007, it sounds like is when you really started this process, right? 15 years ago? Before, yeah. So, okay. So what is it like, I know hiring from within, like hiring internally is a big thing, but like 
Um, in addition to that, is there any one thing you think that separates you guys that makes you unique that you can attribute your existing success and your and your future success to than your rate of growth? Um, some people, it's culture. Some I expand people, it's, uh, patient experience. You know what I mean? Yeah. Some people, it's um a, a unique way of attracting doctors with equity payouts uh, or, or equity. Right. I mean, there's like there's a, any number of things. I'm just curious. Right. I, so we don't do that. We are an associate only model. Um, we have very low turnover of our doctors or our hygienists. So our provider pool is pretty stable. Um, and we haven't ventured into offering ownership. I, something that I, that it's really important our, to our company is the constant communication with each other. And, and I take an approach with people it's kind of an existentialist approach, which is, is when I talk to our people, I don't tell them that there's going to be this utopia, that we're going to just work, 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 and you're going to just have this amazing life, and you're going to do um, something that nobody else has done. I don't take that approach with people. I take more of the approach that life can be really hard, and there will be problems that you will struggle with to get around. And one of the things that I found is I would say better than 90% of the one-to-ones when I have them with a team member in our company, there, it usually circles around this idea of I'm overwhelmed. I have anxiety. Um, I, I battle depression. I mean, it's, it's a lot more common in our companies than I think we admit. And so the way that I've helped people get around that is not to, t- to teach them that there's a utopian society and that we're going to eventually um, all be sitting around a campfire and singing. I tell them that it's hard, life's hard, and you go through struggle and and you teach them to pick up heavy things and to work through them. And mm-hmm. it's just, it's incredible because that's all people really need. They just need yeah. to know, they just need to be made aware that you can do this. You're capable and you're going to be so proud of yourself when you pick yourself up and you get around your problem and then you cheer them on from there. And, and, and it teaches them to be able to encounter the next problem. Um, the, so, so that's a big part of our company. We're really big on one-to-ones. I learned that from high output management. I think that was written by Andy Grove. Um, and I took away Andy Grove from Intel. And I, I something I took away is he would measure all of his managers by the number of one-to-ones that they did. And so we have a similar approach in our company. We want all of our managers and leaders to be constantly having one-to-ones because it is a complaint you'll notice if you look at Gallup polls that people complain about their managers. They say, they never talk to me. They don't know what I do. Um, it's a very common complaint that people will say about their managers. And so um, that's something that we try to overcome is to, to have communication with our people and sit down with them and help them work through their issues and solve problems for them. Mm, that's so great. Yeah. You know, and I could tell you're, you're speaking genuinely and it sounds like that is definitely part of the secret sauce, sauce that makes you guys successful. And so look, this has been really amazing. Um, you know, I, I wish, we had more time to go into more of the nuts and bolts, but I mean, I think it's really important too, like what, everything that we talked about. And so yeah. 
Uh, I guess maybe we'll have to do a follow-up podcast here in yeah. uh, six months or a year to see how everything's coming along. But, um, you know, is there any, if anybody wants to learn more about what you guys are doing, um, is there a good way to uh, reach out and get more information or anything like that? Yeah, they could just go on our website, lightdentalstudios.com. They can contact us there. I'm happy to talk to people. Um, I, you can, you're, it's fine to give out my email, I guess, if you'd like. I, I, I don't, I talk, I, I'm happy to share how we've gotten here. Um, I've enjoyed the conversation, Austin. Uh, I look, I hope that you come to the Northwest some point and we can go ride a little bit. Like, yeah. Uh, I, I can't, you'll laugh at me. I'm, <laughs> hey, you know, just, I've seen fun. videos of you. You're very good. And I, <laughs> I'm not very good, but I love uh, it. I love getting out on the I, water. Yeah. I appreciate that for sure. Um, yeah, definitely have to take you up on that. Yeah. Sounds good. If you need help finding the perfect location for your practice, or you're ready to invest in commercial real estate, email us podcast at leadersre.com. That's podcast at leadersre, R-E as in realestate.com. Or go to leadersre.com and fill out our form. See you next time.